Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is time is it? 7.59 a.m. You are listening to and watching Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. It's Monday, the 28th, right? Cyber Monday, yep. right? That's what it is? Yeah, it's the 28th. How long has Cyber Monday been around? How long has that been a thing? Maybe 15, 20 years. Really? been around a while i was oh, gonna man. guess i would have lost that in jeopardy boy i would have lost that <laughs> i would have guessed about no. five or ten years it seems seems more recent than it actually is actually yeah, maybe one of the listeners can uh, correct us then okay right exactly <laughs> <laughs> they yep. can put that in the chat good morning aurora you're listening to the second largest city's first daily news podcast uh we hope that you guys are all having a blessed productive a a rather a rather inspired day. I don't know what the view around you looks like, but where where we're sitting, it's a sunny day outside. There's still a little bit of frost on the grass, but we are in a healthy disposition today, ladies and gentlemen. We hope that you are all doing good coming off the weekend. Our guest today is freelance writer Mr. Mark Avalar, here to talk uh, many things with us, including sports, politics, Life and the pursuit of happiness. How are you this morning? I am very well, and let's do that quick sports update. It's halftime, Ghana leading South Korea 2-0 in the World Cup, La Copa Mundial. All right, all right, check it out. For all you soccer fans, I know what you're thinking. Like, we, we never get sports on this station. Well, hey, see, that's why you tune in and get good things, There's always new things. A, there's <laughs> always a first time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Mark, how you feeling? I'm feeling fabulous. By the grace of God, beautiful day. It's a beautiful view of the river here in the city of Aurora. And I'm from Algonquin. Okay. So from Algonquin to Aurora, that gives meaning to what Kane County is about. Okay. All right. Um, good morning to you. If you're just now tuning in, Gloria Hurado, good morning. Jennifer Ryan Maiden, hello. And Barry Baskin, good to see all of you, all of you guys. Um, before we get into the nitty-gritty of things, how was your Thanksgiving? It was beautiful. Um, was with my in-laws, yeah. and they everybody did the cooking. I just contributed a green bean casserole from a recipe that they like that even my mother-in-law says is better than hers. Okay. So uh, I was honored to do that, and then we were uh, got to that point where there were too many cooks in the kitchen, so I suggested I have... I have four brothers-in-laws, and I said, well, let's go watch some TV. So right. they thought we were going to turn on, you know, the Lions and the Bills, I said, and they saw me turning on the World Cup. They're going, what's this? Oh. And then what happened? Christi- it was Ghana was playing Portugal, mm-hmm. and Cristiano Ronaldo was about to kick a penalty kick. He made it. And then in the span of 25 minutes, four more goals were scored. Yeah, you the mentioned that. And the final was 3-2. Yeah. <laughs> we're mentioning that to the listeners, and that was just uh, – I was telling my brother-in-law, well, this is uh, not the norm. <laughs> right. I mean, even at this level, that many goals in such a short time, and uh, it ended up winning, you know, Portugal winning 3-2. to two, So, Ghana right. winning today. They're up 2-0, and we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll see what happens. Um, also, I want to uh, – so, Good Morning Aurora has some news. Uh, our dear friend, Maria Banuelos, 
her daughter passed away uh, just yesterday. Um, uh, young lady, 16 years old, uh, from a bout with cancer. So Good Morning Aurora will entertain a moment of silence right now. All right, time is 8.03 a.m. Valeria, good morning to you. Good morning, Aurora. Hope you have a blessed weekend today, a nice weekend, a blessed day today. Amen. Amen for that. Um, okay, so you are a freelance writer. Correct. Okay, how long have you been a freelance writer, sir? I, it's, it's gotten later into life, and uh, <laughs> I became this, um, been doing it regularly now for a little over two, uh, gosh, three years now. Okay. Time flies, and I started out as a volunteer at uh, a, an established blog up in the north end, up in McHenry County, called McHenry County Blog, former state representative Cal Skinner's okay. um, blog, which he's had in place since 05. So it's an established blog, an established news source, and I just started uh, supplying federal issues, and I started tracking what was going on in the 116th Congress. Okay. And so when certain legislation came up and, you know, God provided me the tools, like, for instance, um, there's this outfit out in the West Coast called California Target Book, and they have a, a terrific grid of how votes are recorded in the House. Okay. And we had several freshman representatives at the time with Lauren Underwood as well as mm -hmm. Sean Caston. So how are they voting? And it, it added some um, – some, some, uh, a different way of communicating how votes are taken. Mm -hmm. You see the reds and the blues, and you see the blues are all yay, and the reds are all no, so you can know it's a party line vote, but you see the colors mixed too. So we added that insight, started trying to make sense of federal issues. Colors mixed blogs. being like the bipartisan votes. Correct. On issues. Okay. Correct. So when, uh, and then this continued into the 117th Congress, and uh, I started doing uh, writing for different publications, and I left McHenry County blog back in July. Okay. And uh, right after the, uh, after the primary, I'm also doing some things locally in addition to being a writer. Um, some of my freelancing work also includes analytics. Okay. I played a direct role in the Kane County Board's reapportionment last year okay. with the census data. And I also did this up in McHenry County for McHenry County because Algonquin's in both communities, I mean, in both counties. Okay. So I didn't like seeing my village split into three different districts up in, in McHenry. With the census data and talking to the uh, the demographer who was working there, we were mm -hmm. able to convince them. And I had the only citizen's input amendment in McHenry County. And then, by the grace of God, in Kane County, I repeated that feat. So I also had the only amendment for Kane County's redistricting for okay. the 24 districts. Up in McHenry, they went from a 24-member county board to an 18 member in one redistricting, which is kind of unusual. Right. I know Will County, I know part of Aurora's in Will County. Uh, Will County just implemented that this year, going from 26 board members down to 22. Mm -hmm. So, but then in the election results, uh, Will County elected a, an equally divided county board. So, for those unfamiliar, what is reapportionment? And it's tied in after the census, you know, and it's importance after the census. Correct. It's important for redistricting, and we hear the reapportionment at the national level for the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. We have 435 House members. Each state's guaranteed one member, and then based on population and growth, states are reapportioned their representatives. So, for instance, Illinois had 18 House districts from 2010 through 2020, and then because the population went down a little bit in the census, we lost a House seat. 
So we went from 18 House districts to 17 House districts. And then at the local level, that's done both at the state, as far as you don't lose seats, the, the seats will remain the same unless there's something special going on. So in the state, we still have the 118 state representative districts right. and the um, 59 Senate districts, but the population has shifted. Okay. So the map makers in Springfield have to do a reapportionment of the districts in order to have equal population. Right. Now at the local level, that's for the county as well as the city of Aurora because you have a, a 10-3 um, city council. We have 10 mm-hmm. aldermanic wards and three members, including the mayor, elected at large. Those 10 wards had to be reapportioned too based right. on population. And that created... Well, the word that we'll use is consternation. Yes, that it created consternation at our city council uh, meetings, and we were watch. I was watching those quite intently. Yes, and and of course there was the controversy over the Aurora census count. Mm-hmm. I mean, people expected Aurora to go over two hundred thousand. You went down to one hundred eighty thousand, and that also created some consternation at the county board because. Mm-hmm. City of Aurora County Board District, you had about eight districts, mm-hmm. and then now you're down to seven, and they were, you know, there had to be some pretty creative map drawing to keep them equal. The good news is at Kane County, they did do that. Now, Kane County is a single-member district county board. 24 districts, one member elected by the residents inside that, and in a, in a year that ends with 02, all the districts are up for election in mm-hmm. any, as well as all the state Senate seats. Then they're staggered terms for the rest of the decade. Okay. So in Kane, so in Kane County, you had a single member district. The board numbers did not go down as far as still twenty four members, but in Will County, which is also part of Aurora, you had a uh, a reduction of members. They went from thirteen multi member districts with two members per district, and they reduced it down to eleven districts with two members in it. So they went from twenty six members to twenty two members. Mm-hmm. And it was already a 14 to 12 board Democrat control going in. Now it's an 11-11 board based on the most recent Will County clerk uh, numbers. And so you have a, an evenly divided board right. in Will County. Kane County elected uh, 16 Democrats, 8 Republicans. Um, the Democrats flipped three seats in the Tri-Cities, mm-hmm. one in St. Charles, one in Batavia, one in Geneva. And so now the board here in Kane County is a 16-8 Democrat control with a Democrat elected chair. Right. So. Um, and the redistricting had a uh, huge development on the um, on Batavia and uh, St. Charles and everything like that. Folks knocking on doors who had never knocked on them before, new signs that had never been uh, in the area and that kind of thing. Um, just on a social level, um, do you think people are more – um, tuned into politics now than they have been, or do you think people are tuning out because of the noise and the rhetoric? I mean, there's the learning going on, mm-hmm. right? There's a learning aspect of it, which is always refreshing. But is 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 some of the is some of the negativity drawing people away from these issues and caring? I believe that you have both. Hold on a second. What's up? Okay, good. All right. Gabriel Bradford, ladies and gentlemen, he was learning his, getting his chops on the uh, mic, so forgive us. <laughs> okay. So, but, but I would say a little bit of both, because you have more attention drawn, but some of that attention is superficial. Okay. It's okay. superficial because campaign, and campaigns are trying to adapt to this. So, for instance, nationwide, the Republicans were expected to have this 
red tidal wave, red tsunami because of inflation and the border, right. the southern border, as well as just uh, the general unpopularity of the president. Correct. But then what happened was that's not what turned out. I mean, the House was flipped, mm -hmm. but by a, the slimmest of majorities, uh, it just flipped. It's like a mirror image of the 117th. Now it's 222 Republicans and 213 Democrats. Uh, no seats were flipped in Illinois except for the open 13th district. Yet in the Senate, the, the most the Republicans can have is a 50-50, depending on what happens in Georgia next week. Okay. So it's a matter of people are looking at important things, but they're not looking at in-depth into the issues. And that's what I right. tried to establish right. with the policy input. So, for instance... When the uh, a good example is the southern border crisis, and one of my articles earlier this summer, people were thinking, well, because the governor was saying, well, Texas is sending us governor all these governor of Texas, okay, is sending all these migrants to the city of Chicago. The facts, though, proved that it wasn't the governor of Texas; it was the city of El Paso mm -hmm. that was not a part of Governor Abbott's Operation Lone Star. So I documented this. Um, through, through my freelance work in Illinois Family Action because the truth wasn't getting out. What's uh, the Lone Star? Operation, uh, Operation Lone, Lone Star. Excuse me. It's the busing program which Governor Abbott implemented this year because he's concerned that his, the state's resources in Texas were not getting, were getting overrun by the influx of migrants being attracted to come to the United States. Uh, for whatever reason. So under the Trump administration, you had the Remain in Mexico policy. But mm -hmm. then that was quickly abolished in favor of a more open border, yet the facilities in South Texas and in West Texas were overrun, okay. unintentionally overrun. Now, unfortunately, too many folks try to play politics with this. It was unfortunate because the human factor is still there. Sure. Um, my family originated from the city of El Paso, so when I was seeing the, the untruths being mm -hmm. told that this is the governor's fault, uh, the facts are, based on the city's own website, that most of the Chicago migrants received here from the southern border were from the city of El Paso, and Governor Abbott's program didn't bring the bulk of them. Over 3,200 migrants mm -hmm. were sent from El Paso to the city of Chicago because... And so is Lone Star, and, uh, Lone Star is independent of the governor? No, o Lone Star is part with the governor. El Paso was independent of the governor. Okay. They were, their city council, their city council was approved to provide because the city's resources were being overrun. Okay. And you had migrants sleeping on the streets in tents, especially in Texas. In West Texas, I don't know if you're familiar with West Texas, it's a very a desert bit, yeah. environment. Yep. And... At one point, Fort Bliss, which is just outside El Paso, mm -hmm. had over 4,500 unaccompanied children for sheltering. So the city of El Paso and Fort Bliss did everything they could, and they, everything now included sending migrants to both New York City, and they sent more to New York City than they brought to Chicago. But it was the city of El Paso, not Governor Abbott. But we heard calls, and actually a couple of the local mainstream media, uh, the Sun-Times and or actually it was Cranes, were saying, wait a minute, time out, Mayor Lightfoot. It's the city of El Paso sending the bulk of the migrants. Now, because of a rules change last month by the Biden administration to only send sponsored migrants into the United States, um, 
El Paso eventually closed sponsored their program. migrants being sponsored migrants being these migrants have a place to go in okay. the United States. So as they have, are they have family members or relatives within. Okay, correct. So El Paso ended up within a week of that implementation by the Biden administration closing their migrant transport. So they haven't sent any migrants out since mid-October. I'm curious, though. Mm-hmm. What good could come about busing migrants anywhere? Asylum seekers are looking. They need a fair hearing under our laws. Sure. So, But you can't just allow have the border cities. And overrun was not an exaggeration with what was happening from August into October in El Paso. Oh, I, I get it. But, I mean, if... I mean, if if a busload of migrants came to Aurora, mm-hmm. what benefit could it be to ship them to Oak Brook, though? Well, that's a different y- you know that that's upon arrival. Well, well, <laughs> it's it is, but it's within the I think it's within the wheelhouse. I mean, I just I get the here's the thing. I get the how could I put it? I get the abundance of new arrivals overwhelming a system, whether it be healthcare. Water, infrastructure, transportation, and health. I just don't see why one would make an issue of it, but then bust them elsewhere because it still doesn't help the overall process of you know the overall concern of migrants in America. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like right hide the hide the marble under the cup. It's like mm-hmm. you know. Well, one thing that the governor, start, Governor Abbott of Texas, was pointing out was to send the migrants to what Illinois has declared itself, sanctuary state, a sanctuary city. So when you give that message to the public, that means we will welcome, and Illinois did welcome, the migrants who were sent from the border, predominantly from El Paso, and because there's an asylum process that still has to be followed. And there's re- there's leak that's that's true in regards to the uh, sanctuary designation, but it does have legal. It does have um, there's uh, what's the word? there's like legal eligibilities that are in there as well, and I think that's why is the Abbott administration not under legal review for some of those decisions. The Abbott, there was talk from the governor and Mayor Lightfoot, Governor Pritzker of Illinois and Mayor Lightfoot that there might be some possible criminal concerns. But the city of El Paso defended itself because similar things were said about New York City. And El Paso spokespeople were very clear. Everybody boarded these buses as a choice. The migrants knew where they were going. But Martha's Vineyard isn't a sanctuary locale of, well, any, of, any, of any shade, though. Now, Martha's Vineyard, I'm going to just say that was a publicity stunt. Um, Quite callous. It was. I I don't know if it was DeSantis. I think it was DeSantis who did that, and that was was a publicity stunt, and I'll call it out for what it is. The the issues, though, and and unfortunately that stunt overshadows what was going on in the southern – on the southern border, particularly El Paso, because – We are are talking about two different states. That's true, yeah. And it's like, you know, this was so unnecessary – Yes, it points out that Martha's Vineyard declared themselves to be a sanctuary city. Now you're using people as pawns, and that's wrong. It doesn't matter, and I don't. it's not a red or a blue issue. It's just a human issue, and it is wrong. Whereas here in Illinois, as these 
migrants await their federal hearings. Illinois is helping a resettlement and presumably temporary. Sure. But we don't know what the, what the asylum ruling is going to be. There's not enough federal judges to hear these cases. Right. Um, and uh, the cases are multiplying, which is, which is unfortunate. The time is 819. Um, you know, the other, the, but, but here's, here's another point of the, the issue with asylum seekers and resettlement and whatnot that has perturbed me for a while on, on, a, on a number of reasons. And, and this doesn't really have a political stripe or a bent to it, but I've, I've noticed that the, uh, when it comes to the resettlement issue and, and the, uh, the border and, and what have you, there seems to be a conflation of two different issues. One is that it's the drawdown of services, you know, it's, it's the, over, the overwhelming of our resources. And then the issue of drugs. Um, now, there's only, not every drug is coming through the southern border, and the people who are being detained because of drug trafficking mm-hmm. are different than you know, the people who are in the desert and things like that and, and coming through, the people with, uh, you know, the, wi- the men, women, and children, the elderly, and, and what have you. Um, how do you think those two issues got thrown in the same in the, in the same kind of bin? Because the data is there to show the type of individuals who are trafficking drugs. Mm-hmm. That's where I started out a little bit earlier saying, there's more attention, but some of it's superficial. Okay. Superficial being things are mixed in, and you're not having enough discernment on what policies could be successful to solve the problem. Right. Some will say, well, just shut the border. That, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's, right. ju- that's just talk. Yet, I had a very interesting exchange with a very learned lady out of Las Vegas uh, through social media. And I said, well, okay, people were talking about the border during the campaign. What were the solutions being proposed, apart from just Biden's policies, bad? So I, I, I pulled out something that I remember reading about that was filed earlier this year called the Dignity Act. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Congresswoman uh, Maria Salazar out of South Florida had filed it. And I, I proposed this in this discussion. And immediately, within 10 minutes, this lady in, in Vegas just went through the policy itself. We don't have enough of that going on in campaigns. All we have are sound bites, right. narratives, right. talking points, and bromides. Right. And that's where we need to, as more people are becoming involved, that's where I pray that policy issues and discussion of policy take center stage. And that's where I'm trying to contribute a little bit, in what little way I can, to encourage that kind of discernment to be applied to the issues. It's not like, in a, in, you know, for instance, you mentioned trafficking. It's not just the drug trafficking. It's the human trafficking sure. and the coyotes and the, the real criminals behind all this. Right. And those are the issues that I would like to see solved. But I want to hear some ideas and implemented policy and not get caught up in a red versus blue issue. And it's going to be interesting in the next Congress because you've got a Republican House and a Democrat Senate. Mm-hmm. And in still President Biden. So there has to be some real compromise and real discussion and bargaining. And that, you know, and, and it's not just on the border, but other issues, too. No, yeah, sure. But the, it, it, so I've always, like, 
I felt like the border is a great place to start the bipartisan. I mean, they could be doing fantastic things, electronic monitoring, drones. I mean, the 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 iron is hot for there to be um, solutions, or rather, the work to be done to get to the solutions. The time is eight twenty-two a.m. Uh, okay. Buenos Dias, Raquel Orta, Tracy Duran, Renee Cruz, Michael Rayford, J.L. Harris, Josie Mendoza-Geller, and William Miller III, who says, good morning and happy last November Monday of the month, <laughs> GMA. Thank you for reminding us of that, you dear brother, you. And Maria Saltajeri, how you doing? Time is 823. Um, before we get into the workers' um, rights amendment, I do have a couple of those quick news items that I want to uh, give to people. Um, Gabriel, can you take me to a commercial, please, brethren, as I deliver this news real quick? Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you guys are having a blessed and beautiful Monday. It's 8.23 a.m. in the beautiful city of Aurora, the second largest city in the entire state of Illinois. Before I tell you this news, I want to tell you a new town I learned that is in Illinois. Did you guys know that there is an Albion, Illinois? Did you guys know that? I didn't know that either until somebody uh, liked our, our um, sent us a message on Facebook um, from Albion. Hey, man, just want to let you know, shout out from Albion. Uh, Albion. Mm-hmm. I looked it up, and sure enough, because I, I thought he wrote it wrong. I thought he meant albino, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he did not. <laughs> he did not. He did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so State Representative Stephanie Kiffwood is hosting the annual Toys for Tots. It's a location to drop off Toys for Tots, rather, all the way until December 9th. Donate new unwrapped toys for children and teens, uh, less fortunate, no stuffed animals, though, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, Monday through Friday, going until December 9th. For more information, you can call 630-585-1308. That number is 630-585-1308 for more information. Let them know that you heard about it on Good Morning Aurora. This Wednesday, um, I am honored to be uh, moderating a very important um, online forum, rather, with uh, our friends of the Kane County Pre-Arrest Diversion Team. It's the film screening, screening of the HBO documentary Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. This short film screening will be followed by an in-depth interview with the stars of the film, Ernie Stevens and Joe Smarrow, interviewed by yours truly. <laughs> Join as they talk about mental health and law enforcement and how they interconnect. This will also include Kane County Sheriff Ron Hain and Kane County State's Attorney Jamie Mosser. Registration is required for this. This is an event that's on our Facebook page. It's also been shared on all of our social media channels. Two things you can do. You can click the link to register, and I hope that you guys do take part and join 6 to 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday. And there's also a trailer to watch for the HBO documentary. Um, check it out. It is very very well shot and delivered information. Last but not least is going to be the Kane County training and information session for the Pre-Trial Fairness Act in Kane County. Please join for presentations from various Kane County stakeholders about plans for implementing the PFA in Kane County. Everyone is encouraged to attend. Attendees will also have an opportunity to ask questions related to the implementation plans. This will be December 6th from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. Um, Now, one of the things these people do is they, they give you the link embedded in the flyer, which I can't click right now for you, and it's a little bit cumbersome for Gabriel Bradford. So what I'll do is I will make a post about it. We'll share it all over the world so that you guys can take part in it. Support your local 
government. It is your duty as a citizen. The time is 8.26 a.m. You're listening to and watching Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. Our guest today is Mr. Mark Avalar, freelance writer. Okay. So, uh, the Workers' Rights Amendment. Yes. Which just, uh, which just passed um, a week ago. Two yes. weeks ago now, maybe something like that. Well, it will be certified next week, but right. it did pass. There are two methods of passing a constitutional amendment. The outright men would be the yes/no question, sixty mm-hmm. percent yes votes. It did not meet that threshold, but the other method or the backdoor method, fifty percent of ballots cast across the state had a yes vote, so right. it did pass through the second method. Um, what is the uh, Workers' Rights Amendment Act, and why are you opposed to it? Okay, well, Workers' Rights Amendment has been, it's to allow employees to have the, uh, enshrining the right to collective bargaining into the Constitution. It's Illinois Constitution. Illinois, okay. Thank you. Right. Illinois Constitution. So it would ensure that collective bargaining for wages, safety, and economic freedom, that's a little bit different than, um, or economic welfare, that's a little different than what uh, has normally been under the uh, collective bargaining laws of Illinois. I was opposed to it, and I was not part of the organized opposition. And let me me delineate here. I understand what the organized opposition was talking about with public sector unions and taxes. I opposed it for a different reason. First off, in my opinion, this amendment was not needed. 75 years, and let let me explain something. To prevent Illinois from becoming a right-to-work state, this amendment also put that provision into the Constitution. So a right-to-work state, that's a state that protects workers from being forced to join a union as a condition of employment. Right. Now, Illinois just codified in the Constitution it will not become a right-to-work state. Well, you become, because what's happened is... We were a right-to-work state. No. Okay. We've never been a right-to-work state. Um, Illinois... And all the states under what's known as the Taft-Hartley Act of 1947, so 75 years ago, Congress provisioned the states can decide on their own if they can limit the amount of unions um, forcing membership from workers as a condition of employment. 28 states, to some degree, have a right-to-work law. Illinois is not one of them, and now with the passage of Amendment 1, it will not become one unless something happens at the federal level. Right. Now, I was opposed to this, not so much because of the taxes, which is a valid argument, but now it's a wait and see. Right now, nobody really knows what the impact is now that it's passed. On the surface, okay, you have collective bargaining rights, but you already had those. It's the newer provisions as new contracts, new collective bargaining agreements are struck between unions and the various either governments or employers. We will... It's a wait and see. Right now, I think labor lawyers are, are the ones who are going to benefit the most in order to interpret what does this really mean. But the reason I was really opposed to this, and I wrote about 10 articles on this during the campaign, has to do with worker classification. And this is something that's been going on nationwide. The amendment is very clear. It's the word employees. That doesn't mean workers. That doesn't mean individuals. So under the labor law, you have to be classified as an employee. You have to be a W-2 employee as opposed to a 1099 independent contractor. Now, I am, I am a 1099 independent contractor myself. So some states have tried to, through the state level, to 
force 1099s to become W-2s, which would make them eligible for union membership, particularly California, three years ago. And honestly, it was a disaster. No growth in union membership. And many independent contractors who the legislators thought would have clients who would hire them as employees, those employers did not hire them. They just simply didn't use them. Mm -hmm. So you had livelihoods, be it. And many people try to think, well, this is Lyft or this is Uber, um, ride hailing or delivery drivers, Grubhub, Instacart, um, DoorDash. No, it's much more. Nationwide, there's an estimated 59 million independent contractors. Mm -hmm. 59 million. And since the Obama administration, there's been a push to try to end the 1099 workers model and try to bring everybody into W-2 employment into a union. And we mentioned Washington. This is another area where partisanship has hampered needed reforms under the National Labor Relations Act. And, and just like in Illinois, in spite of the amendment, private sector unions are still under the scope of the National Labor Relations Act. There is legislation that's been stalled in the Senate for over a year and a half called the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or PRO Act. Mm -hmm. That act included language that would redefine classification for workers to become employees for union organizing. Unfortunately, that's been stalled because three Democratic senators will not co-sponsor it. And one explained it very clearly. This act is trying to bring employment relationships to back to the 1980s. In 2020s, we have Airbnb, we have the gig economy, we have freelancers, we have people who are working for the flexibility to set their own hours, maybe predominantly it's women who are caring for an aging parent during the day, they can write their freelance articles at night, submit them overnight, and then they can care for their loved ones during the daytime. That kind of flexibility is at risk of being robbed, and that's the biggest reason why I don't want anything to threaten unless till we work this out. Now that the amendment has passed, I do plan to be working with my state representative. Um, I live up in north, so that's Representative Ness. She knows this is coming. So there's got to be a way to protect independent contractors and their law-abiding clients to keep the work relationship, to keep the product, the value that they bring to the table, and not to have to be forced into W-2 employment. And if Amendment 1 might threaten that, I hope, it, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. That's what the proponents were saying, that I'm wrong. I hope now that it's passed let's protect independent contractors because across the country I'm seeing with first off independent truckers supply chain issues. We've talked about all those that's been talked about for over a year since COVID mm -hmm. 70,000 independent truckers who are based in California cannot legally work in the state of California and they lost their case to be heard by the Supreme court. So they're going to try again with lit with litigation yet you have a supply chain problem. You have truckers who are willing to work, but now because of a bad law to reclassify independent contractors to employees, you're, you're, you're holding up the supply chain. And that could also happen with more people who are out of work. I mean, some civil rights leaders during a California campaign for an, a, a, an initiative to keep this, uh, to give ride-hailing companies their an exemption, some were very came out. I mean, uh, Dr. Benjamin Chavis. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was very. His language was plain spoken, and he's saying, "This, you're choking up entrepreneurship. Mm 
with this kind of a law. And I'm hoping that here in Illinois, we're going to show Midwestern sensibility and common sense. And even with Washington and their deadlocked uh, PRO Act legislation, let's do it right in Illinois. Two things. I'd, um, uh, one is the, uh, the perceived threat or potential threat to independent contractors. And the second was an issue of, of raising taxes, both of which I don't think the opposition showed effectively to that with this amendment. And I think that those are, those are the kind of the two things when I was looking, because I did, I did have this uh, ready to print out. Actually, Gabriel, give me that phone real quick. Yeah, that one right there. Um, of course, the day when I wanted to print the most important notes in the world to be ready, damn printer has no toner. <laughs> so uh, hang on a second here. Because there was um, the idea that it would raise taxes, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think was demonstrated. Or the real threat to um, independent cra- contractors. The organized opposition wanted to focus on taxes. Right. Property taxes specifically. Yes, property taxes specifically because of the of the the messaging was, and this is where you know, like I said, I was not part of the organized opposition, but their thinking was, public sector unions, whether it's the teachers unions, the local teachers unions, or or um, the local um, the ask me um, American Federation yes. for State and yep. Municipal Employees, um, those locals would be negotiating for far more than just simply pay and benefits because the amendment opened the door to certain things. And this is why the newspapers both, you know, endorsed no votes. It's unknown what's going to really happen because those agreements haven't been struck. Okay. Here's the, here's the language. Okay. Here's the language for both of us to see here. All right. So the language says, I'll make this quick. Uh, Employees shall have the fundamental right to organize and to bargain collectively through representatives of their own choosing for the purpose of negotiating wages, hours, and working conditions, and to protect their economic welfare and safety at work. No law shall be passed that interferes with, negates, or diminishes the right of employees to organize and bargain collectively over their wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment and works, workplace safety, excuse me, including any law or ordinance that prohibits the execution or application of agreements between employers and labor organizations that represent employees requiring membership in an organization as a condition of employment. Now, the legalese of that, I will grant you, sir, mm-hmm. is quite robust, okay, <laughs> uh, which happens um, in law, in uh, legislation. But here, but it's supported by the Associated Firefighters of Illinois, the AFL-CIO, Chicago Laborers District Council, Teachers Union, Illinois Federation of Teachers, the Illinois Pipe Trades Association, and the SEIU Healthcare Illinois and Indiana. Mm-hmm. What could they have possibly gotten wrong? Why would, they, why would they vote for something that could have those potential pitfalls? Because I can speak to the latter part concerning the pitfall of worker classification because right. I see what's happening on the national level. And what happened in California. Right. So that first word employees in labor law, that means W-2. You're either a W-2 right. or 1099. Certainly. So 1099 is not eligible because the National Labor Relations Act is very clear. It was specifically says independent contractors cannot participate in collective bargaining. Right. So it's only for W-2s right now. Now, right. would Illinois try to do a California 
hopefully Illinois leaders will learn California didn't turn out the way it was quite expected to turn out. And there's different industries, though, too, in California that we don't have and, and, and the latter, you know, and, and they don't have, too. So there could be a lot of there, there could be a lot of things that we would not follow in their method, in their model. That's true. Well, let's look at what you have truckers all across the country. It's true. Truckers, independent truckers, and many of them, uh, some of them actually ran for Congress and some ran for Congress in other states. This is a threat to them. Because if it's done the right way, let me give an example. Early October, Sunday editorial, the oldest newspaper in New Jersey, older than the Tribune, was opining because strict interpretation and making independent contractors classified as employees would kill local journalism. Mm -hmm. Because of delivery drivers, the, the delivery method for delivering newspapers is generally done through contractors. It's contracted out. Under New Jersey's interpretation through executive fiat, New Jersey almost you know, is at risk of losing their local news industry. And those kind of, I try to make those arguments resonate. Obviously, I'm just, I was just a one-man show at that point. I was not part of the organized opposition. But that's something that is a pitfall that other states are learning and Illinois, if we're going to do this right, we can learn from those states and place laws constitutional, but to, in order to prevent unexpected problems with newspapers claiming they're going to lose local journalism because they can't contract it out. Entrepreneurs, small business startups could lose the ability to contract out necessities just to survive and become a sustained company. Because you have to have 1099 workers to contract it out. A lot of, lot of startups will contract out their manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a union shop or not, it, they're trying to get the entrepreneurs trying to get their product, their value to the customers and grow their business. And if legislatively Illinois goes down a, a dark path where we're not a good place to do business, that's going to see a result of more people leaving and those who are left behind are going to be paying even higher taxes, not even the property taxes that could be a result of teachers of local governments raising taxes. Um, to that point, uh, the time is 841. Because um, this is another thing, too, uh, that, we, that we hear a lot about businesses leaving. You know, Google just came to our great state. And Chicago, of all places, if, if, so many, if we're so bad for business, why mean so many great companies coming? Caterpillar left. Um, it's up to the business. But Caterpillar leaving was not not due to not due to shoddy business practice in Illinois. That was a way to save money by moving production to right. But there are also headquarters jobs being moved to suburban Dallas, um, Irving to be specific. And, and to be fair, I, I don't want to be the guy on the radio support who's advocating for your job being lost so you no. know just to just well <laughs> just and, and cut, i want to be the guest the, just to cut the mustard for that i, too. Grew, I grew up my father was a career federal labor economic analyst for the department of labor and six years with the texas employment commission before that so i grew up respecting labor i am definitely pro union i am pro union i am pro worker so when we look at economic opportunities from a ge- just a simple geographic standpoint, yeah, Chicago, transportation hub, Chicago with the, with the railways, 
and with the highways and even up where I'm at in Algonquin, you know, right now everybody's putting in large distribution centers in order to support the supply chain. And I've got, there are at least three proposals up in, in my end of the county that and so one's causing controversy because people know that for businesses to thrive, the supply chain must be domestically based, not from overseas. Mm-hmm. So businesses are starting to trend that way. And as long as we can keep, and, and this is the way it was sold in Algonquin, in my hometown, good paying union jobs. And the, gov- the village government worked to ensure that we can build this with a tax increment financing district to deal with flooding and build these jobs. And it's a 17-year agreement. And local governments all, I mean, I know the city of Aurora is doing some things here too to entice businesses. Yet if the tax component becomes too high, and it's not just on the rich, but it's on all, the middle class, then the opportunities for employers to attract that talent could be lost. And that is a real risk. Understood. Time is 8.43 a.m. Good morning to you, J.L. Harris. How are you doing? Good morning, A-Town, at Michael Rayford Media, hashtag How Money Works. Good to see you, sir. Um, uh, Twitter. Yes. How do you, uh, how do you find the, the jousting on Twitter that you do? What do you think about it? How is it, uh, is it, is it helping to facilitate um, the discussion? I think it does, although I have to take a discerning point of view of this. Um, I, kept, I was mentioning recently, I mean, well, yesterday with this Las Vegas um, freelance writer yeah. who knows policy. And inside 20 minutes, and she didn't have to write a position paper. All she had to do was look up the legislation, and she quickly and efficiently communicated the good and the bad of the Salazar legislation I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. That kind of discernment is good. Right. As long as we're all willing to tell the truth, and we respectfully disagree, mm-hmm. and we are going to have disagree. You're not going to agree with anybody 100. percent That kind of that kind of exchange is good on Twitter. It is and when it works. It works really good. But when it goes bad, and especially during campaigns, sure, people are trying to help their candidate win. And unfortunately, and hopefully, we can change this. The truth is the first thing that's lost. It is. It and is. It, and it's so have that. It is. And it's so unfortunate. So you bring up. Um, you know, they bring up the legislation. I mean, if we got ILJA here, mm-hmm. right, .gov or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where you can see with the click of a button, mm-hmm. you can read the text and language. There's no need to opine. There's no need for profanity and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I, so that's when I like it, when it's just the, you know, the surgical sword cutting of issues and getting to it. But when it gets into the morass, that's when it's like, not fun. And you seem to deal with a lot of that. I do because, and, you know, I praise God gave me the gift of discernment and, was, and also some thick skin. And <laughs> using the armor of God as Ephesians chapter 6, hold up that shield of faith. Keep that helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And discernment is a gift that all, like I'm working with local organizations up in the north end to where, how quickly do we need to get involved? You and keep saying North need. End. What is the North End? North End of Kane County. Oh, okay. All right. So North End of Kane County, because I am a North Ender. Okay. Whereas, you know, Aurora is seen as the South End or way South. There was a time where when I first got involved back in the 90s, when I first moved here, 
people thought Algonquin was in McHenry County, and predominantly it is. But people would always dismiss our views. And I was bringing this up at the redistricting for Kane County Board last year, saying, okay, fair enough. That's a perception, but we can change that. And I worked with local residents, and we started exercising our voting rights. And our Kane County Board representative is going to be for the going into the 13th year now will be an Algonquin resident, even though it's a shared district with Carpentersville. Mm. So we've elected two consistent county board members from the 2010 election through 2022, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter because, and it, and it, it does have an, uh, an emphasis, though, into the county forest preserve. As people may know, the county board members double as forest preserve district commissioners here in Kane County. Um, Chris Caius is the president of the Forest Preserve. So he should be looking, he should win re-election, you know, next week it's up to the other commissioners to re-elect him as the president of the Forest Preserve Commission. And that has all worked out for not just Algonquin, but for the entire county. He's, he's been a solid president, and certainly we're seeing some fruits of that up in our end of the county as well. Good. But I want to bring up, though, something we're talking about with people being involved, the Safety Act. We've mm-hmm. all heard what's happened with that. And... It was brought up at a meeting about a week ago, and I had to bring up, okay, well, we first started hearing all the issues that went into the election back in early July when the Will County State's Attorney and the DuPage County State's Attorney, Aurora's in both, July 4th rally, and then we heard, and then a, a week later, he was on News Nation. So I spoke before the county board saying, we need to listen to what's going on here, and if you're facing budget issues, you need to do something. And Jamie was facing the budget issues. Kane County, because okay. we're, we're a pilot oh, okay. site. I got you. I got you. I and gotcha. right now, and, and, I, and the grace of God, early August, uh, Jamie Mosser was attending the same executive committee meeting I was attending. And I asked her, what can we do? And one, and, and one thing I started working with my own state representative, uh, Suzanne Ness, she just won re-election, is we got to make sure the prosecutors are at the table of any trailer bills. And... Mosser, as well as Berlin and DuPage and two downstate um, state's attorneys, are at the table. Now, are we going to see some fruit of that this week in the last week of the veto session? To be determined. There's definitely, I mean, but Mosser has been very clear, and her legislative committee update last month was very clear that there are changes that are needed, particularly for the judges. Not so much with ending cash bail, but with what is a detainable offense as well as what it seems that different states' attorneys have different interpretations of, do you let everybody out of your out of the county jail or only people after January 1st stroke of midnight? Uh, Monsters in the latter category. Jim Glasgow of Will County has been in the former category. The question is who's right? Is it interpretation? Can the law be changed in order to take out the interpretation and give clear direction to all the prosecutors? Remember, 100 out of 102 states' attorneys were opposed to the Safety Act. But that doesn't mean it's wrong, because a lot of the people, the, its inception has been with law enforcement for the past 10 years. So that's, it's, you know, the idea that they've been hoodwinked, I think, is, well, is, is disingenuous for those making that, that argument. Well, and I hope I have not come across as that way. Because not you. I'm no, not. no, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, but, let's, but we have to be honest. Though, if the prosecutors, the ones who have to, have to implement the Safety Act's key components, and if they're saying they weren't involved, or let alone helping to craft the legislation, then what 
State's Attorney Mosser and Berlin and the other two are trying to do, let's hope we all see fruit. And that's where we get into the real bipartisanship that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. that seems to be missing from our current um, government, both in Springfield and in Washington. This is a good issue mm-hmm. uh, to use as an example to talk about um, bipartisanship because, for example, what's not helpful for the bipartisanship issue is this, because I've, I've seen this meme mm-hmm. that at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, criminals are going to be let out of jail. That is just not, that's just not credible. Well, that's I just, and that's, and, and because not only that, the reason why it's not credible is anyone who's sitting in jail, if for the person who's in jail, he still has to go through the legal process for why he's in jail. Mm-hmm. So wherever his case is at on January 1st, it will remain. If he needs to go back to date to court for another continuance, that's what's going to happen. If he is in contact with his lawyer and he's planning an appeal, that's still going to continue. So nobody's getting let out on the 1st unless they're getting let out on a recognizance bond because they got a little too drunk at Dave and Buster's the night before. Okay. And that is but also the, the, the charges though too, cause this is important cause there's a mm-hmm. lot of, um, there is a, there is a plethora of, of, we'll just call it, we'll just call it disinformation. Mm-hmm. There is a plethora of that going on precisely because of the ambiguity that exists in the legislative process that's being undertaken with all these people. Plus, it's worth noting that for the Chicago um, state representative or who have you, he wouldn't be liaisoning with necessarily the Kendall County State's Attorney anyway. So there is an issue with the people that they're – the law enforcement representatives that are privy to the discussion being had where they're at. Mm -hmm. It is an Illinois state law. So they, all parties represented should have that opportunity, especially in the law enforcement realm. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they don't or they haven't is just not credible. That's not the argument you're making. Correct. That is, so I want to be clear here. That's not the argument you're making. Mm-hmm. But that is a large proponent or a large portion of the argument that's being made, and that's not helpful. I agree, and I think the Daily Herald had it right when it was they opined, saying that now that the campaign's over, let's get to the truth is basically what they said. Because I, I asked Sheriff Haynes specifically, I said, are you going to arrest anybody for second-degree murder? Because I saw that second-degree murder was one of the things that nobody is going to jail for come January 1st. I asked Sheriff Haynes, is there any variation of second-degree murder where a person will not be arrested? And he, he, could, not, he could not fathom. And I am very familiar with uh, Sheriff Haynes' position, yet Sheriff Haynes, State's Attorney Mosser, are only two of their 101 other ones. Certainly, but those, that's who I had to work with in this area. Understood. Th- to ask that question. But sure. I guess with sure. the variety of information we're seeing, if, if, there, if there are... God forbid there are 101 different interpretations from the state's attorneys. <laughs> um, there, but, but that's the thing. There mm-hmm. probably is. There probably is. And law enforcement is a perfect example of interpretation. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the laws we've had. Crack cocaine versus powder. Yeah. The distance of your fleeing and eluding. Mm-hmm. I'm detaining Gabriel Bradford, but if I move him from this room to that one, now it's kidnapping. Yeah. I think it's the ambiguity, and, and I don't want to get lost on this, but but again, because I think this is the place where the iron is hot enough to strike to kind of build that that relationship, that understanding, and that dialogue because it's the ambiguity that exists that allows for people with bad intentions mm-hmm. to take that and add even the slightest little bit of doubt, which can cause chaos, fear, many things. Agreed, and yet the ele- with the election passed, though, but let's look. I'm trying to just how could I how could each of us set an example? Well, one, you taking advantage like State Representative Ness had several um, coffees with the state rep during the summer and into the fall, including after all this started happening in right. July. And I'm sure the other state reps did too. She just happens to be mine. Um, I took advantage of those and I kept asking these questions. And state's attorney Mosser is she involved, or any of the state's attorneys directly involved? And I remember at one of the last ones I attended with Ness and Algonquin, um, she did say. It's, uh, I can confirm, State's Attorney Mosser is working with the appropriate Springfield contacts in order to get the trailer bill. What will, what will be passed this week, we will know by Thursday. Right, right, yeah. So, I, and, and, and again, I'm in it for the work being done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what I, I, I know sausage making is a, is a terrible process. I'm in it for that, though. So mm-hmm. I, do, I do like that because just like, look, I got a 10-year-old. The thought... That somebody could not go to jail for armed robbery? Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't want that. The idea that a person could sign out on his own recognizance after aggravated discharge of a firearm? Now, I, who would vote for that? I don't know. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, because the threat exists that it could potentially be true, mm-hmm. I don't want that. So this is where I like to, to, as they say, to smoke out the issues, man, to beat the bushes and have that bird fly out so we can actually bag it, you know? And that's where we have to apply discernment guided by the truth, not one side's talking points or the other side's Absolutely. talking points. we got to apply discernment, and we need to put our all of our elected officials to let them know we as citizens, I was happy to see Ness's actions um, helping to get Mosser into the loop. Right. And Mosser has definitely taken her role to Springfield, and she's you know she appeared on several um, TV shows during October and I think in September. She made it very clear. I mean, she she, she even told the county board she could easily talk for, for hours on this, and she's read through this, and it's just she's she's been helping to get the truth out, and especially if some states' attorneys are thinking everybody's out of jail at the stroke of midnight. Versus her, she made very clear her interpretation is going to be up until 1159, December 31st, if you're incarcerated, you will stay incarcerated. Absolutely. Mid Stroke of midnight, that's when the no-cash bail of the Pretrial Fairness Act is takes effect, unless there's a change. Now, Mosser did say she's trying to delay this by six months. Yeah. Now, whether she'll win that six months, we'll right. know by the end of the week. Sheriff Hain did say that his... Upon being reelected, his number one priority is changes to the Safety Act. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, so the 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 battle goes on. Yes. the battle goes on. But I'm, I, it is worth it to know for people that no matter what that meme says, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. 
Yeah. There is no there is no human being who is currently detained for a violent crime who will at the stroke of midnight be released unless he just so happened to be sentenced mm-hmm. that day right after his legal procedure from jail you're going to prison or you're going home so there is just there is just no it's just not feasible it's just not feasible if but uh, but I didn't mm-hmm. want to get I didn't want to get lost on this what I was mm-hmm. trying to do here with this issue was to make the point of what um, facts are what is not and how to move between the two, understand what we're looking at, what we're reading, and understand that laws and legislation take a long time to do this kind of stuff. And that's where we always have to be focused on what is the truth, not spin. We want to know what is really in the legislation. What is it really going to mean for everybody, for the average person or the law enforcement official? Damn, the time is 8.59. Holy cow. Time flies. Oh, it does. Oh, my God. Uh, All right. Um, So I I see you're looking at soccer there. What do you – What's the update, brother? Update. Ghana <laughs> is now leading South Korea 3-2. to two. It was 2-0 uh, uh, at halftime, so there's a lot of scoring going on in that match. Um, for 40 years, I have, do track the World Cup. Okay. I, was, I was living in Mexico 40 years ago, and I really came entranced by the nations and the fact that this was a sport that was not harmed by the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, nations like Brazil and West Germany and England – uh, Italy winning the championship, and it's coming to the United States in four years. Okay, as part of the tri hosts of the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Mark, where were you born and raised? I was born in San Francisco. I was raised in suburban Dallas in Garland, Texas. Okay, and I've been in Illinois now for thirty years. All by right. the grace of God, the time is nine o'clock a.m. Um, we took it all the way. Praise God. Do you think we saved the world today? I think we may have shown a way for someone to save the world. How about oh, that? Oh, I like that. I like that. The blueprint for saving the world. The trailer for saving the world. Amen. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you can watch State Attorney Monster talk about the, the YouTube link, October 19th, Kane County Legislative Committee. Thank you for that. Heather Rainey is here. Good morning and happy Monday to you. And Matt Rainey, Rent-A-Chef, the husband and wife team, doing great things. We interviewed them. They are fantastic people, uh, and they cook real good. Um, uh, he was telling us about this glaze that he does. I can't think about it. Listen to the episode. It was great. <laughs> you will be hungry. Um, the show ends on a positive note. What is your message today for the, for the listeners out there? Message for the listeners, just as many candidates were saying, love God, love family, love country, in that order. All right. All right. Uh, We hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. We really enjoyed this conversation. Do not forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to tune in tomorrow for Buenos Dias Aurora. Got another great conversation for you. And Wednesday is going to be another special day. We're going to talk about a couple of things that we didn't get to today, uh, specifically the uh, article I just mentioned about priorities for the Safety Act coming up and also new TIF district information for the City of Aurora's casino move to the Farnsworth Area 88 Interchange. So uh, tune in Wednesday for that. Be blessed and be highly motivated. And last but not least, take care of yourself and each other. Amen.